Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail blog that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail, or as we like to say, the media company that focuses on tomorrow's companies today. Today, we are turning our attention to a topic of ever-growing importance, and that is the changing dynamics of customer service in this ever-changing omni-channel retailing world, and particularly what it implies for how retailers should think about meeting their customers' needs across generations. Joining us today to speak on this very subject are Henesis Miranda Longo, Head of Industry Marketing for Retail and Consumer Goods at TalkDesk, and Antonio Gonzalez, the Head of Industries Research and Insights as well. How are you both doing today? We're doing so good and so pumped with all your energy. I love it. <laughs> doing great. Thank you for noticing. That's great. And Antonio, you have a very soothe sounding voice from that. I, I, like, <laughs> I like the podcast ready voice that you bring to the table here. Thank you. I've, I've definitely heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> he knows it. He knows it. He, he knows it. He, he knows what he's bringing to the um, table. He knows it's good. Home. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about, about some trends within Gen Z, but I want to know who are we talking to today? Where do you both fall on the spectrum? Henesis, uh, let's go with you first. Yeah, I'm curious. This is a tricky question. I've been having an identity <laughs> crisis for the last couple of years because I used to be on the cutoff for like, I am Gen Z and now I'm like Zillennial. So it depends Zillennial. on what, what range of term. ages you look at, but I'm a 1996 baby. So wow. yeah. Um, and I am also, that makes me like what they say at talk this, the token Zillennial focus on social media. Um, so I do work <laughs> with brands like Ari and others. Um, so any questions about that? I'm also game. Yeah, you have to follow her on uh on Instagram. I just started and yeah, I love love the photos. Yeah, there's good lots follow. of fun outfits and stuff too. Um Antonio, what about you? Where do you fall on the spectrum? Very solidly millennial. I think I'm I'm right okay. in the middle there. Uh and I think I'm actually an interesting case study because of that. Uh I think for most of my life I my reflex was to just pick up the phone because I figured that was the quickest, most direct way to get a hold of somebody. And over the past few years, I've kind of come around and realized, wow, there's a lot more options that actually work really well besides the phone. So, right, right, yeah. a recovering phone call center person. Yeah. Yes, I love exactly. it. Exactly. And since we're since we're keeping tabs at, I think we got to say what we are too. Yeah. So, okay. You're, you're, what are you? you what are you officially? Are you officially Gen X? I think I'm Zenial because I'm millennial and Gen X. Okay. So but I'm on the border oh, of those two. So you're like Zenial with an X, like yes. Henial or Zen. Yeah. I don't know how you say that, but yeah. So you're also right. part of the identity crisis crew. Yes. I'm part of the, I'm part of the identity crisis crew. I'm yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You are. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I'm fully Gen X, right? Yes. Like let's make no mistake, no. but, but I gotta, I gotta admit though, like from Antonio's perspective, I never was a big fan of picking up the phone. Like I was, <laughs> I, that's more introvert than I you're, think you're extrovert. Like the, you're on <laughs> but, the opposite yeah. of wise beyond your like old soul. You're like new soul. You just never want to get on the yes phone. exactly yes. yes i was i was i mean i was in i was a walking anachronism from birth and that's right exactly right all right well all right enough of that and before we get our into our discussion though with uh with these two we just want to give you a quick reminder for those watching the early re release of this interview live on linkedin with us right now please feel free to ask your questions of Henesis and antonio at any time via the chat session window on the right hand side of your desktop screen all right, with all that housekeeping out of the way, and I think we should get to this. Let's do it. Okay, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I want you to set the stage for us. What is fundamentally driving the shift in consumer expectations around customer service? Like, 
what can we pinpoint it to? Is it personal preferences, age, demographic, um, Antonio? Technology. Yeah, technology. Antonio, let's. I'm going to go to you first. Um, you're the the former Gartner guy here, so I, I want <laughs> to hear the the research right from the horse's mouth. Yeah, I, I'll caveat this is is largely based on on my opinion, um, but I would say that. From what I've observed, my my point of view is that really it comes down to the mainstream adoption of the internet since the 90s and just the impact that it's had on our relationships to information and how we use and access information to just be solving our problems on a day-to-day basis. Uh, hmm. By this point, I think for most everyone, for almost every need, or issue we encounter in our day-to-day, our day-to-day lives, you know, there's a guide or, or somebody's already asked a question and there's already an answer posted somewhere on the internet. And so I think, you know, increasingly we just expect to be able to find the right information to fix a problem and move on with our, uh, I would say, increasingly busy lives. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And especially as you think of our, like the millennials, right. Or the Gen Z, um, or yeah, I'm like lost of the words, but if you think about how we've grown up, it's not even a shift of expectations more. So now it's like brands realizing that they have to keep up with those expectations, but we've grown up. I mean, I've had a phone ever since elementary school, when instead of going to a library, we were encouraged to look up the answers on our computers and going and asking our teacher or someone for help became a last resort. And so I I think we've grown up with that. Like you don't ask unless you have to. And we're so used to that accelerated pace of life that we do expect brands and and the world to keep up. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I was curious about that because it's funny that you said that because what I was going to ask you about was it also feels like it's been a function of how we shop now, where mm-hmm. where it's not just that digital is more so pervasive in our life, but how we shop digitally and how that transaction ends up happening, which it happens much in the same way as what you described with your teacher example. Like, I don't need to ask the teacher. I can interact with this retailer the same way or this brand the same way. And by default, then all of that happens. It, it, am I thinking about that the right way? I mean, it, it yeah, seems absolutely. like there's some there's a there there to me. We've we've been used to finding answers and doing the things we want as easily as possible, right? Without having to to go again and ask or go and ask a brand for help or anything. And so we want those fast, immediate uh, type of interactions across the board. Yeah, and and relating to that, I, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of times I hear kind of the notion that. Amazon is what's driving uh, customer expectations and, you know, broadening array of realms. And, you know, I don't quite completely agree with that notion okay. just because, you know, Amazon themselves, you know, state as their mission to be the most customer centric, uh, customer obsessed company on earth. And I think what they did was kind of tap into existing consumer behaviors and expectations and helped address that. And I think in doing that, they kind of amplified that for maybe a broader audience of consumers who weren't necessarily as digitally engaged in their day-to-day lives. And so, so I think they're kind of have this like amplification effect. Oh, that's interesting. So, okay. So let's shift gears a little bit then. So I want to talk loyalty. Loyalty is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And quite honestly, I I think, Anne and I would both argue too often. We, we actually hear people talking about it probably too much, but, but you guys have a real interesting take on this from your research. So in your minds, what, what are the main drivers of the, of loyalty as you guys define it? Maybe start with the definition there too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so we actually, as you, as you said, did, did uh, some custom research on this subject uh, just released last year, a survey of 5,500 um, consumers. And we really wanted to understand what, 
what drove consumers to choose a brand as their go-to for a given need? That was how, mm-hmm. how we defined it uh, in, in the research for, for consumers. And when we asked them, you know, how many, um, <clears throat> when we asked them really what drove their, their loyalty, um, what we found was pretty clearly, and I think ties to what we just talked about, being able to just resolve an issue, whatever it is, wherever it may may arise on first contact. That's that's the biggest thing that people just at the end of the day they want to they want to solve a problem and, and move on with their lives, and and that helps you know being able to do that well consistently. I think is is what kind of drives consumer back. They have that kind of faith that an issue that comes up, they'll have it fixed and they can move on. And when that's not there, that actually on the flip side, we saw was the biggest underminer of loyalty as well. Having to repeatedly contact a company um, is the thing that is most likely to get uh, to cause uh, a customer to start to maybe look elsewhere and think about buying from another company. And Antonio, I'm, I'm curious, is it, are you seeing people or did you see in the study where people are actually making that decision up front before they're purchasing? I mean, I think about with returns, I know that, you know, the returns process for retailers now moving into the up in the funnel into the first considerations. Like if I do order this product online, can I return it to store? Can I return it via a locker? Like what are my, my options if this doesn't work out as planned? Were you seeing any kind of like decisions, decision-making changing um, in the survey that you guys did? Interesting. So, so you're asking uh, whether, whether consumers indicated that they would kind of uh, abandon a purchase upfront if they did not really, if they weren't confident that it would be kind of fulfilled exactly. completely. Exactly. And like how the loyalty component that you're talking about kind of ties into that or where they're going, which retailers they're going back to. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And honestly, I, I wish we'd spoken before we fielded the research because I think that would have been a, question, a great question to ask. <laughs> uh, funnel, me, right, right. Yeah, uh, but we'll, I mean, we'll put the research report on the on the chat. But I, to your point, I'm like, if it's not going to be easy, then why would we do it? And especially right. with the connected world and we all talk to each other. Like if, if my friend tells me, oh, she had a really hard experience with that brand, what would make me want to even approach them in the first place? So yeah, I think it's just the nature of how we shop now. Right. Everything's visible and transparent. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna, so, okay. So I want to go back to something Antonio said, and then you may think of it too, is so like there's a definition between affinity, like a brand affinity and brand loyalty. So if I hear you back for the audience, what you're saying is you can be a, you can have an affinity for a brand or a like, you think you have a liking for a brand for a whole host of reasons. But what actually makes you loyal is when I have a problem, can you solve it? Right. Yeah. Is that, that's what you're saying, right? That that's the key def, the key delineation here. Yeah, as 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 we envisioned it, it was uh, you know if I have a need for a product, this company is the first place I'm going to look for that product. The mm-hmm. first the first kind of in in consideration, and so it's then theirs to lose. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how is the how? I mean, we talk about problems. I mean, the first thing I think about is the, <laughs> over the course of the last two years and all the challenges that retailers and brands have encountered with the pandemic. How has that impacted consumers' kind of perceptions of of loyalty or how they're approaching brands? I'm specifically thinking like if they don't have a product at the grocery store that I like, the name brand, am I staying to that one and finding another store that has it, or am I, you know, figuring out what the next best option is? How how have you uh, seen people respond in that way? Yeah, I think there's every indication that it's been hugely impacted. Um, what we saw, and, and I think probably by definition, is that consumer relationships with the companies they're loyal to are, are, are 
stable and relatively mm -hmm. few. Um, we saw 86% mm -hmm. of consumers said that they're loyal to five or fewer companies wow. um, as I we defined it. Okay. Um, but we actually, when we delved into kind of what impact the pandemic may have had on the stability of that loyalty, we saw that indication, I think, that there is a lot of disruption happening and that, you know, there was a heightened urgency and a whole host of new specific needs that consumers had. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think a lot of companies, uh, maybe weaknesses in their CX were abruptly revealed. And, and I think that combined to a mismatch that is starting to create some um, instability in, in loyal relationships. Uh, we saw that 49% of consumers said that they had just stopped buying from a company outright in the past year, just because of a single mm -hmm. instance of poor service. Mm -hmm. Um, and 39%, you know, to your point about something missing from the grocery store, 39% said that they had stopped, uh, started, uh, they had chosen an alternative company to okay. buy from because of supply supply chain issues and because of um, absences of their chosen product from the company that they had originally they would have originally gone with. Um, on the flip side, I think it's not all risk to companies. There's also new opportunities to be deepening relationships. One thing that really stood out and was particularly interesting to us was that um, over half of consumers, 57%, said that they had become more loyal to companies uh, who had demonstrated helping out their customers during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, a similar share of people said the exact same thing about companies that had uh, demonstrated helping out their employees as well. So I think there's kind of a, sure. there's, there's risk, but I think also a virtuous cycle from companies who were able to really uh, stand out as demonstrating um, a commitment to their, their employees and their customers. Yeah. And I, I love what Antonio said about the stat of how many people did choose to, to leave the brand because of supply chain issues, because it shows that the majority didn't, right? And I think it shows us people, like we understood that brands were struggling because our friends, our families, like they work for those brands. We know that there's stuff going on. And something that I that I loved about the pandemic is a way that the that brands were personified. So like in the same way that I can follow friends on Instagram or on Facebook or, or TikTok, like now I can follow brands in that same way. And I kind of expect that same relationship now. And so if I know that like my friend is struggling because of things going on in the pandemic, that's okay. Like I know a brand will struggle, but will they be transparent and open about what's going on? Or like if I call them at 3 a.m. in the morning because I'm going through something and I need their help, will they pick up? Or will they remember or even through what they have going on that my birthday is coming up or that I love to wear yellow. Like how are brands um, dealing right with everything going on while keeping the relationships with customers so that when we do reach out and that we do need help, we do get that support that will make us continue to be loyal to them because we'll be loyal to the brands that are loyal to us, to our families, to our friends, to our communities. Well, and that's a key thing too that I picked up in, you know, in that last thread too, is that loyalty extends beyond like, how do you make me feel about a certain transaction mm -hmm. or when I have a problem? But it's also, how do you make me feel about the people I care about when they encounter a problem, particularly the employees that are working in the store or say your family members that are also interacting with that brand, um, which is fascinating to think about when you get right down to it. So, so my question then becomes like, and we've we tease this in the beginning intentionally, but like, how do you guys, how does this data start to change as you look at things generationally? So you know, how do you go about assessing the dynamics around loyalty, particularly when you're looking at Gen Z, um, for example? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of what we've been talking about has been has been trending towards actually what we're seeing generationally. Uh, when we looked at Gen Z, uh, and, and also I'll, I'll combine millennials in this because in a lot of ways their behavior trended very similarly. Um, when we looked at those two generations, what drives their loyalty is exactly the same as other generations. Fundamentally, mm-hmm. they want to be able to resolve uh, a need quickly and easily and on first contact. Right. Um, and similarly, you know, when that's not present, that's going to be the biggest risk to relationships. But I think where things where we saw really interesting defi- uh, distinctions start to emerge um, is just uh, the attention that they're paying to, as we're saying, kind of how companies are speaking to and treating the people that they care about in their communities and are speaking to issues and themes that matter to them as mm-hmm. consumers. Um, so there, there's an interesting attentiveness being paid to that. So we saw that there's there's a real willingness to to pick and choose which companies they, they choose to buy from based on their stances on things like social issues, sustainability, and diversity. Um, to that point, 46% of Gen Z consumers said that they started working with a company um, because of their stance on social issues and 53%, um, oh, sorry, I misspoke, stopped buying from a camp company because of their stance on social okay. issues. 46%, okay. But, but 53% actually chose to start working with a company because of diversity in their customer service function. So I think increasingly we're seeing that while, you know, the bread and butter needs to be there of solving issues quickly and easily and consistently, um, things are starting to spread beyond the context of individual service interactions alone. And I think starting to be thought of in a broader context of an overall relationship to the company, to what Hennessy was saying, how, how a company is speaking to uh, their communities, their friends and families, the, 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 the issues that they care about. Antonio, I'm wondering, I know this study was specific to Gen Z, but anecdotally even like, (laughs) is that true for the other generations? I mean, are you seeing this kind of behavior where, you know, millennials or even Gen Xers are feeling compelled to change their stance on brands based on these types of issues as well? Yes, I would definitely it's present with other generations um, in smaller percentages. um, So it's about a quarter of boomers who will actually stop buying from a company because of their stance on social issues um, and a little under a fifth when it comes to issues of wow. sustainability. So there are segments That's of older crazy. generations. Yeah. Very um, yeah. Probably depends on the issue too. Right. Imagine, right. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I like to add color to that because if you, I mean, take a look, imagine what like my social media feed looks like, right? Like I'm a Mexican immigrant, grew up in South Phoenix, went to Cornell, now live in Austin, and I'm in tech. Like, there's a broad range of communities that I've been a part of, and they all feel a lot of of ways about different topics and different causes. And so I do have, like, every view scroll, you'll see a lot of people calling out brands or a lot of people calling out each other to be more accountable and to know, like, who are, what are you wearing? Because now a post represents us, right? Like every post on our feed or on our TikTok, it tells a story of who we are. And I think just like people used to say, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. Now it's like, you're the average of the five brands that you're loyal to. (laughs) And so what do those brands say about you? And there's a a lot of pressure on us who do live like very public lives on social to make sure that those brands are consistent to who we are. And we need the people that we're talking to at those brands to be able to communicate that well um, and, and proactively with us. 
It's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't know you're from South Phoenix either. We have to talk yeah. about that after the show because I'm from Phoenix too. That's fantastic. I love doing this show. I learn things new every day, every day. Uh, yeah. So, you guys, what does this mean about the evolution then of how brands should be talking to their customers and the evolution of what happens when you call and you do have a problem yeah, and you're looking an for a solution? How is this kind of changing this idea of, I don't know, the contact center, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I, I think I, I hinted at this a little bit. Um, you know, it's moving beyond just the context of resolving an individual issue in the moment to kind of thinking more holistically about the consumer and the relationship to that company. And so I think this points to just a more strategic role for the contact center overall, um, thinking about <clears throat> not just the need in the moment, but who is this consumer? What is What have been their past interactions with me? What do they care about in their in their daily lives, and how can I can I speak to them as an individual? And so, I think each interaction is an opportunity to not just solve a problem and move on, but kind of deepen deepen that relationship over time. Yeah, I agree. And your question as to how they should be talking is like they should be talking as friends. And we go back to the analogy I made about friends being available. Like at the end of the day, when you need a friend, you need to be able to get in touch with them, whether you call them or DM them or call their parents' house and ask where they're at. Like regardless of how you get in touch with them, you know that you're going to reach them and that when they when you do get in touch with them, that like they're going to help you or they're going to give you advice or they're going to tell you whether that looks good on you or not. Or they'll tell you about a new product that came out that you are probably interested in because they know you. Right. And that's the way that we need to be interacting with brands, like regardless of where or how we reach out, do we know that that brand is going to be there for us um, and, and to deepen that relationship with us at all times? And that's not happening in many in many occasions. Right. I mean, I mean, and we get right down to it too. Like that's got to be that's got to put some implicit strain on our call centers as retailers too to staff mm -hmm. them correctly, to resource them correctly, to measure and benchmark yeah. them correctly. I right. Mean, that's the to other train part. them. Right. If you're gonna right. be if you're gonna be having a conversation as a friend versus how quickly can you solve the problem, get the person off the phone, which I think has been in the past such an important part of. Like, yeah, and the other thing I was gonna say, it's not even just the phone anymore. I yeah. mean, I think when you get right down to what Antonio yeah. and Hennessy are talking about, is like you're a friend of across whatever medium that friend wants exactly. to interact with you in. Exactly. Right. And so, yeah. so, I mean, it all sounds good in principle, but that's actually really challenging to do unless you're thinking about it the right way. So like, how do you, how should retailers think about what to do with their call centers and the people working them and in them and making them as successful as they can be? Yeah, I, I think it fundamentally comes down to the way that they view the contact center. And for so long, it's always been a cost center. It's always been a must have, but we don't really want to have it. It's kind of just there and cut the cost as much as possible because they don't see the value that it brings. Um, I mean, if you also think about a traditional like call center, you probably think of some somewhere outsourced, a building with a lot of phones in it. And that's right, just yeah. not, <laughs> that doesn't meet the needs that we have now. And so if you think of, well, what is the contact center? Well, it's really like the heart of the brand now. It's out of which stem all the communications, all of the engagements. And to operate that, then you need people your all of your employees to be equipped with like the tools to know who are the customers that are calling in what are their previous interactions what are they a loyal customer um maybe i should put them first in line if i have other ones or maybe i should give them a way to get in touch with us automatically so that we can spend like our employees times focusing on more 
valuable conversations, right? So it's figuring out how to empower the employees and see them as brand ambassadors, not just as contact center agents and seeing the contact center as truly like the brand, the heart, the representative um, of, of your operations. So for you, Hennessy, it really starts with it really starts with the context shift in the retailer's mind. Like yeah. first and foremost, like treating this as like a revenue generating opportunity when you think about it long term for loyalty versus the cost center activities that was traditionally there. Yeah. Um, Antonio, what would you add to that question? Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't have a whole lot to add. That was a gr- great reply from Hennessy, but I think from my perspective, I think also the contact center and the agents need to be brought into closer alignment with kind of overall. Um, consumer strategy and, and broad alignment with other aspects of the organization. You know, one big example I think is marketing organizations. Hmm. Um, agents should should be equipped to be able to be aware of how um, how the company is communicating the messaging they're putting out. So, for example, on, on things like social hmm. issues, if they have a question about to clarify that you know a statement that the, the company has made, that they're they're equipped to know what that statement was and being able to to answer that effectively. How do you recommend then, I mean, you gave some examples there, but how do retailers really get to be more proactive? We talked about, you know, just thinking about the, the contact center differently, but what are they, what can they do? What, what actions can they take away from this, this discussion where they can go and start making that happen? They can be proactive about how they're, they're um, staffing or approaching the contact center. Uh, I would say, you know, from my perspective, first and foremost, relevance to the customer is going to be key. Um, in our research, we saw that uh, uh, 63% of consumers said that they got annoyed when a, an agent contacts them unexpectedly or, or really without the proper mm. context. So mm. I think companies need to be mindful of whether there's an underlying customer need and whether that specific outreach will help them address it. Um, so rather than, you know, be, be mindful of, you know, is this about the company and and what it's trying to communicate, or is this about a latent need that the, the customer has that can be solved for? And I think <clears throat> to Tennis's point, that's going to, a lot of it's going to come down to being able to piece together a consistent view of customers from, you know, their past interactions, their buying history, their service interactions, and, and potential needs that may arise. And being able to really make that easily and conveniently view, uh, viewable to frontline associates um, at any moment as well. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to be proactive, right? Like it could be as simple as even knowing what my name is instead, instead of asking me, what is it? Or what are you calling about? If you already know who I am and my interactions or what I probably am calling about that thing that I just ordered, um, then that's even being proactive or even being proactive and like breaking down the silos, like Antonio said about between social media teams specifically and the contact center. Mm. Um, as I work with brands, mm. Like let's say Ari, they'll send the social media team and I are pretty close and they'll send me like a coupon for a new product that they just launched, right? And let's say I need to return it. Well, I return it, but now I'm not getting any money back because it was a coupon. So the contact center doesn't know what to do with that because they're not communicating with the social media team. And so here I am like trying to represent this brand, trying to do all these things to to expand the the brand um, to my followers. And it's like, I'm having a lot of conflicts just in trying to get the customer service and the brand or social media teams to connect. Um, And so there's a lot of tensions there, but if I'm calling in response to maybe like a, a marketing email that got sent, then the 
the customer service rep should have his ability to that and not be like, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're not connected there or try calling that other number. Or if you call the contact center and they're like, oh, well, you're calling corporate, you have to call the store. It's like, you are the store, like you are right. the brand. What's the right. difference? Yeah, that, no, that's ahead. happened to me for sure before with like some of the ambassador programs that the fitness ambassador programs where it's like either one, the call center people don't understand like what's going on for these ambassador yeah. programs that are critical to the success of their brand. Um, or, you know, the, it's not being communicated either to the stores, to the call centers or contact centers and to the other, like all the other outputs. Like it's, it's really about, I think, communication and, and clear, concise communication across the, the organization. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing you got me thinking about too, there that Hennessy said that I thought I've never thought about before, um, which is another reason I love doing the show is, uh, the connection with the contact center or when you have an issue and your social media teams at a retailer, like there's probably a connection there that the two sides could make. that could be more beneficial. If you kind of reimagine the whole thing, so to speak, in some ways, there's probably a lot of talent to draw from each side of those pools of the pond Mm -hmm. that are totally isolated right now, which is something I've never thought about once until Tennessee, you just mentioned that. So that, that was awesome. Um, all right, well, so my next question then to kind of close us up here is, you know, as you, as you both look to the industry, I'm curious if there are any retailers that you think are doing this the right way um, or think about this or doing this well, like, you know, and the audience can learn from and who those people might be. Yeah. I love this question because I get to show off a lot of the customers that, that we work with and then I communicate with on a daily basis. Um, one of the customers that I love is Farfetch. So Farfetch, uh, of course, luxury brand. Yeah, but right. Andy, from speaking on like how to make the contact center be strategic in the organization, they really treat their employees. They don't even call them contact center agents. They call them advisors. And during the holidays, when they know that that's a predominantly like hard mental health time, because it's emotionally tense, right? For everyone picking up the phone, they actually bring in the executives and all of the like the leaders of the company that are usually absent from spaces like the contact center. And they get them picking up the phone and realizing how hard it is to be an advisor um, and how hard it is to like be communicating with customers at, at that emotional level. Um, and so it really does bring the contact center value to the forefront. And, and it really like, positions the employees of the contact center to as these brand ambassadors that should be invested in. So that's one example. That's a great point too. Cause Anne, I can remember from my days, I was, I mean, heading up target home merchandising, which was a Mm -hmm. plus billion dollar business online. And, and, you know, we never once interact with our call centers in the way you're describing, Hannah. It's never once. Yeah, like, it shouldn't just be reserved for the holidays. Know, yeah. This is probably something you should be doing. All more the time. Imagine the, all the data in there that could have helped you. Yeah. And, and it's probably also fun. It was probably a function of location at the time because things weren't cloud-based, you know, the operations weren't set mm-hmm. up that way dynamically like they are during the pandemic and just a function of just everyone's comfort level and comfort zones that they were in. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Who else though? Yeah. Another one is Tuft and Needle. Um, Tuft and Needle is really committed to not just their employees, but their communities. And so I am actually a Tuft and Needle customer myself. And uh, I did have an issue with the mattress that just wasn't, it wasn't what I expected. And, you know, I call them up, I have incredible service and they're like, why don't you donate that mattress to the charity or a family of your choice? 
and and like bless them in that way. And I was like, everyone go buy from Tufted Needles. <laughs> no, it, and it meant a lot. Um, and not only that, but as as I see the way that they do operate their contact center, they really don't push their employees to have like great average handle times. Like that means get the call ending as soon as possible. No, like they incentivize their employees to build those connections. Even if that means listening to a grandma talk about their kid for 20 minutes, right? Like that won't mess up their metrics. Um, And so I love that. And and just the commitment that Tough the Needle has to to customers in the community. That's awesome. What about you, Antonio? Anything, any experiences that you've had that you'd want to add? Yeah, I, w- I would say, uh, you know, I hope I'm not punting in this response. It's a very, very different scope of business. Um, but the company that I find myself recommending to my friends and family over and over is actually a, a furniture retailer uh, based here in Portland, where I live. Um, and uh, I bought a, a bed frame from them uh, some time ago, and it had a lifetime guarantee. If anything went wrong, they would fix it. And since that has happened, unfortunately, a couple of things have gone wrong, but each time I've reached out to them and they've known exactly who I was, what I ordered, uh, what bed frame, what size, and no questions asked have gotten that the, the, the damaged piece fixed within that day. And so I haven't had to go without, you know, without a place to sleep ever. Did you and, call them or did you go in? I have to know. This is part of your, <laughs> this is part of your millennial response. <laughs> yeah, I, I went in. If I'm being okay. honest, <laughs> okay. Just, hey, you're right. You like you said at the beginning, you got to find the way to solve the problem as fast and easy as possible. And sometimes that means going in and getting it done too. I mean, whatever works. No shame in it. We're gonna talk about yeah. that on tomorrow's podcast. Actually, yeah, it's for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, and shout out to Shelly Huff too of the WRC of uh, your Women's yes. Retail Collective. Big fan of Omni Talk. She's gonna be fab. She's gonna be stoked about that. Yeah, tough to needle drop that you guys yes. just gave her on the good customer service too. That oh, was very that. serendipitous for her. So yeah, hopefully she's listening. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, any other concluding thoughts that you two have that for our audience here as they think about the changing dynamics of customer service and loyalty here coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, I just wanted to add another, as we were talking about the data from your target days, um, another customer, Glasses USA, um, something that they've been doing is they take the feedback from the tens of thousands of calls that they receive per month, and they now like can automatically analyze the trends and the frictions in those so that they can then feed them back to merchandising and production and be like, hey, like we need to change something here. Um, We need to make an a some sort of process change or item change regarding the SKU. Um, And so just the power of like being proactive in that way, right? It's not even in terms of communications with customers, but being being proactive with your other functions of your business so that you can anticipate those customer needs and and have them not have uh, issues in the first place. Right. right. Doing it in a smart way too. So it can be operationalized. Yeah. Cause even in my days in target, I can remember like being in food and that process was very dialed in, but then you go to a different segment of the organization, say like home furniture and like it wasn't. So it, it can even be very disparate across the organization as well, depending on how you set that up. It's a great point. Antonio, what about you? Famous last words here. Oh, I, I don't know how, how to build on, on just the excellent insights that Hennessy has, has been able to provide already. Uh, I would just say that, you know, uh, some of the, 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 uh, the statistics that I shared during this conversation are part of uh, two uh, broader reports that we have available. Uh, the first being the future of customer loyalty and the second being a deep dive into Gen Z uh, called Winning Gen Z Through Exceptional Customer Service. Uh, they're both publicly available for free and I encourage everyone to, uh, to access them to learn a little bit more. Yeah, we can drop them in the chat. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll put them in our notes too, for anyone that's listening to this uh, recording, following the release on LinkedIn, they'll be available there as well. So, well, Hey, thank you to both of you guys. This was a very enlightening conversation. Learned a lot from it. Lots of new points of view that I hadn't thought about before. And I don't know if you feel the same absolutely, way, but yeah, but um, yeah, if people want to get in touch with either one of you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, please just feel free to, to reach out and connect with me directly on LinkedIn. Yeah, same. Or Instagram. <laughs> or Instagram. All right, that's our first Instagram drop know, in the history of the you show. You have to give them your Instagram handle. Yeah, yeah. That in the chat too. Perfect. Uh, but in, we, I mean, if, if you want something a little more formal, then talkbest.com slash retail. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go through this proper chat? Yeah, yeah. Go through the proper <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys both. Thanks to, again, this was TalkDesk's Henesis Miranda Longo and Antonio Gonzalez. Thank you both for sitting down with us today. And thanks to all of you that joined us live on LinkedIn. As always, on behalf of them and all of us here at Omni Talk, be careful out there.